In this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with John Barry of Forged Gaming. We had an amazing conversation around tabletop role-playing games and their influence on us as children and especially now as adults. We not only shared our Dungeon Master experiences, but also some of the tips and tricks that we utilize in our own games. Lastly, we dove into the future of tabletop role-playing games and where we see the industry going. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and share this with your friends and leave us a comment or a review on what your favorite part of this episode was. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. John, my friend, pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Brian. It's great to be here. It's good to finally get something on the schedule. I know that life is crazy, but really appreciate you. And it was a pleasure meeting you at Gen Con at the Hunters event. It was a, it's kind of funny because I know we met we were listening to the music and we kind of, I don't want to say casually bumped into each other, but, you know, approached you and said, hey, and whatnot. And all of a sudden, I feel like we had a couple of fun little run-ins where I thought I heard you speaking to a colleague of yours and you switched from English to, I believe it was Mandarin, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. So actually, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, we, uh a one of our uh, suppliers, actually, one of the companies that we work with to uh, to to manufacture products, they were they had a booth at Gen Con, and I ran into them at that party. Yeah, you're right. That's awesome because I, I I heard it and I was like, man, you are a man of many talents. I remember <laughs> you. You're also a man of wit because you were like, we'll talk about that on the podcast, and now you did. So I appreciate that. But John, um, tell us, I how did you get into the TTRPG industry? So that's not as it's probably not as interesting a story as uh, one might think. I uh, was introduced to the uh, the CEO and owner of the parent company of Forge Gaming uh, by a friend of mine, and we started uh, uh, by by trade. I'm a marketing and management consultant. Okay, and uh, who happens to have a, a deep passion for uh, tabletop gaming and uh, and have for for quite a big portion of my life. But uh, anyway, we started talking and uh, we eventually uh, started working together. And I uh, I run the Forge brand now. And uh, I also do a lot of uh, management type work for the uh, parent company. Awesome. So when you've said that you've had a deep love for it, when did that love kind of blossom? And when did it start? That is a longer story. I'll give you the short version if you want. Uh, you can tell the long story too. We, well, the audience here loves, and we love long form. So you're good. So, well, the long form is so when I was a kid, I, uh, in, in an elementary aged kid, I uh, suffered pretty heavily from ADHD. And I, I didn't have a lot of friends and I struggled academically pretty significantly academically actually and so I was actually very far behind as a as a reader and I never actually read a book uh on my own until I was I I was in eighth grade and I had this is back in the time where there were indoor shopping malls and I'm uh dating myself a little bit but indoor shopping malls and bookstores uh where they had physical books and I would always uh when we would go to the bookstore I would always sneak off into the the Dungeons and Dragons section or the role playing game section, the game section, and uh, I was always coveting the, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons books, and then in particular, 
a, a series of books that caught my eye were, were the Dragonlance books. I, I loved the, I've always had a love for, for logos and iconography and the Dragonlance, the Dragonlance logo always just, just fascinated me as a kid. And, but it was one of those things I grew up in a small town and I grew up at a time when games like Dungeons and Dragons were pretty heavily frowned upon yeah. and uh, in a small conservative town in Missouri. And so, but uh Eventually, I, I managed to buy the uh, the first book of the Dragonlance Chronicles, uh, nice. Dragons of Autumn Twilight, uh, with money that I made working on the farm. And uh, I read that book. And that was the first book I ever read. And so from that point forward, I was a voracious reader. And uh, that's just kind of where it took off. And and. So, and, and slightly prior, just prior to that, uh, the game Hero Quest was released, the original Milton Bradley Games Workshop collaboration. And I was a huge fan of Hero Quest. And those two things just kind of, those two things just kind of smashed together at the right time in my life. And uh, I kind of never looked back. So I've played, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, and, uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, Dungeons and Dragons was uh, AD&D second edition, and I still have my original player's handbook and original books up there. Yep, got them right there. And uh, and uh, Call of Cthulhu fourth edition, I think it was, and and Rifts uh, when Rifts came out, played oh nice, in nice RPG, yeah, uh, and yeah, it just was just kind of took off from there and just always stayed with me, and uh, that's how it started. Were you a player or a game master? So I started off. I started off as a player, but I was always a game master at heart. Uh, I, I, uh, as hard as this will be for a lot of people, especially friends of mine, to believe I, I enjoy being in control. Uh, and, and so uh, I find a great deal of comfort in kind of knowing what, uh, kind of knowing what the options are and knowing what's coming. And but I was always kind of as a kid. I was always in a younger person. I'm always a world builder and a, and a yeah. creator. And uh, I loved, I love telling stories. And I love, uh, I love being, I love helping other people tell their own stories. I guess it's more of a, uh, is, is, is more of it now these days. And so. Did Dragonlance, cause you know, obviously when we went to Gen Con, uh, Margaret and Tracy were there yeah. and I don't know if you had the chance to meet them, but mm -hmm. I feel like as a world builder, cause I, I, I really love the world building aspect of tabletop. And I think D&D &D did a really good job at setting a foundation for world building. In your experience, what are some of the things that you acquired from like Dragonlance and any other fantasy novels to help you world build? You know, I think it's all, I mean, it's just going to sound cheesy, I guess, but you, you know, there, there aren't a lot of unique fantasy tropes True. left. You know what I mean? And so, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people who say that uh, the Dragonlance or, or, or a lot of those stories, the, the R.A. Salvatore stories are just kind of reskins of, of Tolkien and, and even older stories than that. And, and so, but that's okay. You know, like I, I didn't read uh, Tolkien. I read the Hobbit or tried, or, you know, tried, tried to read the Hobbit as a kid. I didn't read the books, uh, the Tolkien books until I was quite a bit older. And uh, Tolkien had a very different way of world building too. Absolutely. Let and, me and, be but, honest. But my my entry my entry into that world was was Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman and, and the Dragonlance novels. And so that was 
that was before I even understood that, you know, that Lord of the Rings uh, and the Hobbit were, were a thing, you know what I mean? And so yeah. uh, that came later for me. And well, so, but what I took away from them, and here's my, here's my, the, my favorite, uh, I, I think I'm trying to answer your question. My favorite aspect, I think, of the Dragonlance novels, once I, once I kind of read, I read somewhere an article uh, uh, around the time after I finished the, the books for the first time, is that that entire story, and actually may, it may be in the back or the forward of the, of the original paperbacks, but that whole story came out of their D&D campaign. You know, that whole thing, all those characters, you know, the NPCs, all of it, all the characters were, were, were developed and, and, and fleshed out and, uh, be, you know, life was breathed into them around the tabletop. And that, that was it for me. Like I was hooked. That so. is one of the best. When I heard that, I, I thought to myself, this is the difference that Dragonlance has. Tolkien, obviously, well, the game, obviously, you know, he predates the game. And we can all probably say, okay, he is like the godfather of fantasy. Okay, true, sure. But what Dragonlance did as a series, and I don't know if you ever read Margaret and Robert's uh, Dragon Corsairs and Dragon Brigade series. No, I never did. Very well done. I would, it's, I, I'm pretty, I geeked out about Dragonlance. I really geeked out about um the dragon corsairs it's not in the it's not in the world of crin or anything like that but it's uh -huh. a steampunk version where they really took the fantasy tropes and they kind of turned it upside down quite literally there's no ocean there's this thing called the breath that has mm -hmm. this like thick gelatinous you know it, it it's it's a weird science but it's awesome and you really don't need an explanation of oh this is just the thing you accept it and that's kind of what I felt with Dragonlance, kind of alluding to uh, what you're saying, where with Dragonlance, when, when people read it, it's like, oh, this is a fantasy world that feels real. Hence, the world is real and it feels alive because, hey, it was alive and the, like they flesh it out in their game and whatnot. So I always ask people when, I, when they bring up Dragonlance and I've always gotten the same kind of, an not the same answer, but everyone kind of agrees that out of every fantasy series that's out there right now, right? Let's talk about a song of ice and fire. It's a, it's a well-written book, right? Mm -hmm. It's a good series, but it doesn't feel alive. It feels like a political intrigue type novel. Yeah. But that's just me. That's my little rant on Dragonlance. And we do, we do uh, allow rants on this show, by the way. But <laughs> with that, with that being said, do, do our best to keep that door closed. A bit. <laughs> I, I try to because I can go on rants uh, about a lot of things. Um, yeah, I should just rename this podcast to Brian's Nerdy Rants. But the bearded, the bearded rant. Ooh, I like that. See the marketing a different whole different podcast. That is very true. That's a Patreon exclusive, y'all. I shaved. Um, I shaved this week. I didn't even think about it, but I shaved yesterday. So we could sorry. have hit it on the nose. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but so okay, so you got in with. You were influenced by Dragonlance and Hero Quest and D D and whatnot. Yeah. When was it though that you decided to like merge your love of the hobby and make it a career? It was a total accident. Like I was saying, really? it was yeah, it wasn't deliberate. It, uh, it was it was just it was right place, right time. Like I oh. said, you know, the 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 CEO of the company and I started talking, and we we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of mutually kind of 
I hate to use this word synergistic ideas and and we got along really well and and uh I you know we started working together and eventually I kind of took over the 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 steering wheel of the forge brand and and that's just kind of how it started you know it was just it was like was luck it so you're lucky so basically your lucky feet was like on point absolutely yeah, yeah. you know uh and and I've uh you know I had a have had a long I've had a long career, you know, working, I worked overseas for a long time. Um, I've worked in, uh, I've worked in government. I've worked in non, I've run nonprofits uh, and, and I've just got a lot of experience. Uh, and this is one of those, this is just one of those experiences and it's, uh, I love it. So I ask because we have a lot of audience members who are not only, you know, game masters and world builders, but they're almost you know, I would say entrepreneurs because they're either running paid to play games and mm-hmm. trying to start, you know, that type of business, or they're getting into the hobby, um, the industry rather, and mm-hmm. getting and applying their skills into the industry. So I know a lot of uh, audience members have always reached out and said, Hey, this is really cool to hear about these type of experiences because it encourages me, you know, mm-hmm. whoever they are, to get into it and ha- almost like, Oh, I have a beacon of hope to get into this because my nine to five is really slogging me down. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's yeah. so that's why in, in this episode, it's going to be really fun because we can touch on that, but I definitely want to talk more about uh, being a game master and world builder, because I'm always interested if you've been, you know, you've played and obviously you have the game master world builder mentality when you are running a game, especially working a full-time job, what are some of the things that you use to stay in touch with your players and to actually play? I don't know if you're in an active campaign right now, but what are some of the tools that you're using right now? So that's a, that's a loaded question. So, you know, I, I don't get to play very much at all ever. Okay. And uh, let alone, let alone GM. So, and, and I'm actually just next month, uh, I'm going to start a, I'm going to start DMing a new campaign. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, I'll, I'll plug, I'll plug elder brain here. I'm not sure you're familiar with elder brain or not, but they're the story of how they, I don't know if it's how they came to be, but they created a, they created a huge campaign setting called crown of the Oathbreaker. Are you familiar with this? I'm familiar with it, but I would also love for you to explain it so that the audience knows a little sure. bit about what it is. I, I love, I have no, first, first of all, I have no affiliation with Elder Brain whatsoever. Uh, I, I, I just happened across their Kickstarter campaign for Crown of the Oathbreaker and the story behind it was just so compelling that, that I had to back it. And so the story behind it is this. So they created a, uh, and I don't know if it's the first time they did this or if it's the second time or if they had a few other things, but this is just where I, where I landed with them you know, where I joined up with them on their journey. So uh, they created a, a survey. It was like 200 question survey and they got 2000 responses. Oh, and the God. survey was basically, you know, 200 questions about, you know, what you want to see in a, what you want to see in a, in an RPG campaign. What do you want to see in a setting? Like, what are the, what are the tropes that you want to, what are the tropes that you want to, that you want to interact with? What are the, sure. what, what what's the, 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 the time in, in history or, you know, the environment that you want to be in. It's 200 questions about all this. And so they took those 2000 responses and created the most 
sweeping, epic, ridiculous campaign that I've ever like the if you read the synopsis that the it's 12 chapters long the book is a thousand pages the the oh. campaign book is a thousand pages long Damn. the first like 160 pages of the book are uh are are our world history you know the history of this world uh and the kingdom that you that you're going to be you know that you're going to be traversing throughout the course of the campaign the 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 player read ahead is a hundred pages long, uh, just so that the players have a sense of the world that they're that they're. Holy moly! No, it's crazy, and so and and even the the synopsis of the of the campaign itself, like that you read as a DM, just to get a sense of what it is, it's it's twenty pages long, and uh, it's it's just huge and and big and epic, and there's you know big sandbox chapters where you just you, you know where players are going to wander around aimlessly. All that being said, this is the this is the thing that I the the flag that I decided to plant uh, here. Uh, so I'm based in Kansas City. So bring together oh, a few nice. Kansas City local people, and we're gonna start. I'm gonna start oh, running yeah. this campaign here locally in person uh, for a few of my friends here in Kansas City. I can't wait. And so, do you, do you like using minis and terrain for the so, campaign? So I. Yes, but 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 not maybe not so much for really just for keeping track of combat. of of combat and stuff like that. Not really for I don't have like an entire basement full of cities and terrain and stuff. Uh, really, yeah. just for keeping track of combat and if it, when it's necessary. I'm more of a I guess I'm more of a, a theater of the mind type person. And when I do use minis, I tend to I tend to uh, use paper minis. Yeah, two two D minis are honestly where, mind you, I have a collection of minis right here. I I love minis. I am never going to be biased to them. Yeah. Well, I say never, but I just I love all minis, so I guess that's a biasness. Two D minis, in my opinion, are really great because of the storage ability. Their travel, they're great for traveling, but more importantly, they're cheap and affordable. Anyone can play with them, so it really lowers the barrier. You can make your own. I mean, if you if you really, I mean, Heck yeah, Paizo, Paizo and Pathfinder make an amazing, have an amazing, uh, have an amazing collection of of cardboard uh, paper minis. So they're amazing. Or you can make, I make, I I make my own a lot of times. Just you know, pulling uh pulling resources together. And yeah, I, I mean, to, I use Excel to try to make them to scale and. Uh, nice. <laughs> Wait, so how are you? What are you using? Why are you using Excel? What, what are you implying? I use so I'm not a I am not a graphic designer nor am I a, nor am I a digital artist or illustrator but what you can what I do is I use I use Excel and PowerPoint so that I can create scale models of things so oh, in Excel sweet. you can change so in Excel if you don't know this uh, you can you can expand or collapse the size of a cell yep and so what I, I use that to uh, I use that to create a grid. Uh, a square grid where a, where one square represents a certain where one oh, square cool. represents a certain uh, either it might be an inch it might be a foot you know if I'm building a if I'm I used it to build the deck on the back of my house <laughs> so uh, but uh, so could be accurate so that's, that's one way so then you take that so you create that scale and then you can use well, you can use Excel I use PowerPoint but you can use that to to increase the size of you can increase the size of a of a of a of a of a giant, for example, relative to the size of a human. So, oh, I love yeah. that because yeah. what I've been doing is, um, 
So I, I'm very similar in style in your with your style, or rather, I think we have similar styles where I utilize terrain and minis for combat purposes only. Mm-hmm. I very rarely set up minis or terrain to set up a scene. Yeah, I'm yeah. very descriptive of. I'm 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 a big proponent of utilizing the five senses. Mm-hmm. So like sight, sound, you know, all that because well, I hope my basement doesn't smell like a medieval city streets. Let's put it that way. Hopefully not. But if you do have that issue, I mean, I know there's a bunch of D&D candles, not that I'm sponsored by any, but there's probably one that can make it smell like that. So if you're wanting that, sure. Um, but there's a lot of different I, I like utilizing the five senses tactics or strategy yeah. because we can all at least or somewhat understand how does your character perceive that? That's one thing that I've been trying to really hone in on is how does your character or what does your character see? You know, they see this, but how do they feel? How do they react? Especially if you're a dwarf that's outside in a think like Gondor, right? Or think, you know, Heck, think if we're talking Dragonlance, the end of you know the 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 famous inn and, that we all know um, that we've all read about and seen. And obviously, uh, Stephen, if you're if you hear this, he's a great, he's an amazing artist. I think he did the rendition um, of it in an artwork. He's one of our audience members. I love him to death. But you know, what would a dwarf feel like in high up trees? Kind of like. Um, you know, what would a dwarf feel when they see this? It's beautiful, but does yeah. a dwarf believe that it's beautiful, right? They they may view it and that depends on that character. So I love bringing that aspect of it. And I love the fact that you brought up the theater of the mind because a lot of people, pardon the language, but they kind of shit on theater of the mind. It's I've seen lately that it's been a very well, I use miniatures and that's all I use or I use these paper graph like big poster board of a thing that's Mm -hmm. it's great. And sure, it brings immersion. Yeah, but it's also if you can't explain it from a theater of the mind perspective, how can you explain the physical terrain as well? That's supposed to just immerse and enhance. Mm-hmm. But that's my little trope about it. So how do you so how do you get players with theater of the mind? How do you immerse them? I think it's hard. Yeah, I think you I think you have to one, I think it helps. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, I think it helps when your players uh, want to you know want to be engaged and want to be there um you know one of my uh one of my favorite gm experiences and really not that long ago was i tried to uh i I tried to convince my uh my wife and my cousin and his fiance to to play uh because i was really itching to have an in-person game Mm -hmm. we all live in the same neighborhood Oh, that's obviously, awesome. Obviously, my wife and I live in the same neighborhood, but um, yeah, I guess not, not obviously, but we do. Um, hey, there you go. And so, but they were, so they were very reluctant. And okay. so it was very difficult to, uh, to, to engage with them in a theater of the mind type environment because they had never had no experience with, they had no experience with RPGs, let alone TTRPGs at all. And so this was their first experience. And so it was a very, uh, it was a very challenging 
It was a very challenging game to run. They, they eventually got into it and had a good time. Um, but uh, it was hard. And so I think things like miniatures help sure. um, because I think they create a, they create a transitional kind of a, a transitional environment, something tactile, something physical that someone who is not necessarily either as experienced with something like theater of the mind or has never, you know, maybe even never done it before, or maybe just isn't comfortable in, you know, 100% in that space, it gives them something to, it gives them something for their, for their mind and their creativity to, to kind of focus on so that they can, rather than them, rather than that person having to, uh, that player or even that GM or DM have to come up with something completely, completely on their own, they've got something that they can focus on and they can describe the features of that miniature or that, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's three-dimensional or, or paper they can describe the uh they can draw a quick map on a grid on a piece of grid paper and they can describe that based on their you know quick scribbles or whatever i think it just provides a focus yeah um it, it provides a focus for everybody to just make that to just make that that leap a little easier so um but but to your question how do you engage people i think you have to read the room yeah uh, I think you have to, I think you have to, if you don't know your audience from the beginning, I think you have to learn them and kind of figure out where that sweet spot is, where everybody's kind of, where everybody's comfortable. So, cause then you're, you know, some, you're always going to have somebody who's more, not always, you, you know, a lot of times you're going to have someone who's way more comfortable with role play and sure. someone who's not, but there's a, but somewhere on that spectrum, everybody's going to be okay. So what are the steps that you take? to learn your audience? I don't know that I actively, I don't know if it's something I actively, I actively do. I think it's more of a passive perception. <laughs> I think it's more of kind of a passive perception uh, check rather yeah. than, uh, you know, rather than an active, active thing. I think it, for me, it's, it's conversational. Everything that, gotcha. you know, everything that I do, whether, you know, I know we're talking about games right now, but even professionally, you know, getting for to sure. know somebody like, you know, getting to know somebody like yourself, some random stranger in a bar. True. Uh, granted we were at the same party, but, um, that is true. But uh, you, you just you just feel it out. And I, I maybe I have a knack for that. Maybe I just think I do and I fake it. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that I I don't think I do actively. I think I just I engage people in conversation. I I, I, I try to be relatively lighthearted and, and easygoing. And um, and I try to, you know, just whatever cues you're giving me, I try to feed off of. And so um that's really important though. And I, and I really appreciate how you answered it because the merging, and, and this is something I've spoken about at length where the, what we've learned in our professional setting to certain business acumen is totally applicable in a gaming space and vice versa. I think I became a better presenter when I started GMing more absolutely mm -hmm. like just because I've had to improvise a lot more yeah. and I was able to improvise as long as I know the data, right. I can go off and talk about it, present mm -hmm. on it and, and speak diligently on it. Same thing in D and D or as a, as a DM, we know our worlds, right? We're building our worlds actively and we understand it so we can talk about it and reading the room. What I loved, what you said is it's almost a passive thing. And I think that's a great trait. Because I, I often see folks kind of struggle with it. And my biggest, my, my biggest 
uh, I don't want to say pet peeve. I wish I could instill this upon folks is that it shouldn't, you know, if you have a hard time with it, that's okay, but it should be very casual. Like you said, striking up a conversation saying, Hey, what do you like about D and D? What's your favorite part about it? Asking them about the game and saying, what are your top, you know, maybe what's your top three things. Maybe you go out to lunch and you talk about it. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but just getting together and having that conversation. I think that would resolve 90% of the problems that you, that arise in D and D. I don't know if you've ever, if, if you've ever had to witness this or go through this where I, you know, if you read on subreddits or if you just read on Facebook posts or whatever social media that you like to consume, Oh, my party ended because the play, you know, two or, th- or three or whatever the amount of players started to play in this style or manner. And then I think to myself, well, wait a minute, why didn't you just have the conversation about it? And then it's like, it, it's like the, it's the, oh, wait a minute, that could have happened. Mm-hmm. But I, and again, I, I wonder, I, I always just find that kind of funny where I, I feel that, and just like in a professional setting, 99% of conflict can be resolved through just communication. Absolutely. And I see, you know, and I do read, I do read some of the subreddits and things, and I find them extraordinarily frustrating a lot of times. And I always wonder, I always find myself, here's it's my turn to like, bear, like almost get into that rant mode. Go for I, it. We encourage I find it. myself, I find myself wondering how one, you know, how old or young are the people that are, that are, having these experiences where the party ends or the game ends or the GM is asking one of my players did this and I don't know what to do, you know, that type of stuff. And to your point, I think, and I also find myself wondering, even when you were saying this just now, how many of those games are just virtual? Those people have never met in person. They just playing D and D online, you know, roll 20 foundry, whatever VTT they're using, you know, they've never, They've never interacted with each other in a, in a, in a physical space because, um, and, and then how many of those situations are actually at a table? Um, yeah. Because it's way easier to act like an asshole, excuse me, when you're, no, you're fine. You can say early virtual. And I think that, and now I'm going to sound like an old guy wagging his finger, but I don't know how old you are, but I didn't have a cell phone. I, cell phones were not a thing when I was young and, and weren't a thing until I was, I was out of college and, and even and smartphones didn't become a thing until I was working in the telecom industry in yeah. marketing. And so, you know, I didn't grow up my, you know, kind of my foundational life experience was were not, I didn't have a cell phone in my hand. I didn't have the internet and I didn't have things like Reddit and, Facebook and stuff like that. So, so I don't have that. That's not, that was not part of my life until much later in life. And so, but I, I, I am curious and I, and I'm sad for the generations of, of people behind me, younger than me, who have always had that and have, and and don't, and didn't have to, weren't forced. And I don't mean forced in an uncomfortable way, but just didn't have to talk to strangers Sure. You know, and interact with and interact with people on a on a one-to-one human in-person basis the way that I did growing up, because I think you learn a lot of passive skills about you know reading the room and and and, and just interacting with people that that a lot of 
you know, younger people these days don't just don't get because they they're not forced into those situations. And it's just way easier. It's just way easier to to do to do whatever interaction virtually. And I, and I think that that's sad. And so, you know, uh, I have to wonder how many of those issues are because those interactions are purely virtual. And yeah. because I have a hard time believing that the majority of them are going to be around a physical table. You know what I mean? Like an in, in person. Uh, because people just don't, no, not everybody, obviously, but the majority of people don't act like complete jackasses uh, sure. when they're, you know, physically occupying the same space as someone else. So, but anyway, that, that's my, that's my small rank. So. No, no, it's totally welcome. And I think you brought, you bring up a brilliant point. I don't think that a lot of folks exercise the mental or social muscle of interaction of just basic mm -hmm. communication and interaction with one another right yeah we as nerds get the bad rep that oh well you're socially awkward well no not all of us are so that's a generalization not all of us are i mean some of us are and that's okay right there there could there's many reasons why and that's okay. No problem. Yeah. But we also have to understand that there are generational gaps as well. And not only our audience, right? Those players, but I think of it like this. If you are playing with multiple individuals <clears throat> that are of different generations, they're going to think differently. They're going to mm -hmm. act differently. Right. I remember posting something on, um, forget which social media platform, but it was a session that I was running for a dear friend of mine and his family. They live about two, three hours away from me. We've known each other since I'd say 2016, 2017, where we, we work in a very similar industry, but we've always known each other and connected through the tabletop industry. And he said, Hey man, why don't you come on over? And, um, and run a game for us. I'd really appreciate that. Yep, no problem. And his son, I remember, had his phone out, but he had his he had D and D Beyond on his phone. Mm -hmm. He was just yeah. basically character sheet, look, character sheet and resources. Yeah, character sheet resources everything because he's very involved. And I remember people commenting, "Oh, look at that kid!" If you know, in my day, we would just really just railing into this. And he's not even a kid. He's 20, you know, plus years old. He, he's a, and he, by all intents and purposes, he's an adult. Um, yeah. He's definitely, you know, I, I may be a, a decade, a decade plus older than him, but you know, whatever. I, and I, I was flabbergasted and this is coming from an older generation that I feel like should be a little bit more compassionate about that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think there's, I think there's definite, generational gaps and understanding oh, there's no age limit there's no age limit to being an asshole yeah absolutely oh, yeah. <laughs> that's very true um I, this I is am, a pg this is a pg-13 podcast right no this is beyond that we, we, oh, okay. we right. drop many words on All this right. show well, I'm, I'm i'm being very well behaved for the most part so no let your sith come out you're fine <laughs> um, no we don't Again, this podcast, the, the cool thing about this, actually the best comment that I ever received because it made me really laugh 
um, was that one of our members on Discord, one of our guild mates, as we we call our Discord the Guild Hall, um, one of our guild mates was like, dude, your podcast is like Joe Rogan of nerd topics, but without chimpanzees and DMT. And I was like, I appreciate that. That made me what's laugh. D- so what's, the, what's DMT? What is DMT? Apparent DMT is like a drug or something like that, that Joe okay. Rogan always talks about. It's like a psychedelic, I guess. Okay. I, as you can tell, I, I, those are the episodes I don't listen to. Um, and you can tell, I just, I've never listened to So I've never heard, I, I've never heard his show. I've, I've, I've heard, I've read enough about it in the zeitgeist. I've, I, I only know. listen to the episodes that have jujitsu athletes on it because I practice jujitsu. So okay. when I, when like Hicks and Gracie was on his show several times, I, I made the time to listen to that because I thought, you know, Hickson's a legend in, in, in jujitsu. He was the champion of the family. He was Gracie. Isn't Gracie like a chain of, isn't it a, is a, a chain or a franchise of, of martial arts studios? Yeah. So Hickson Gracie. So Hickson is the son of Elio. Um, so there are 37. No, wait, there are over 20 plus Gracie children. So there's like 18 on one side and another like 10 on the other. So like, including cousins, there are 28 children. You know a lot about this family. Oh yeah, because they're legends. They're they're they are the ones that brought jujitsu and well, their father Elio and his brother Carlos learned Japanese jujitsu, mm-hmm. um, and then basically the family history. That family is what created Brazilian jujitsu, and they taught it, and it spread like wildfire. So from a martial art dynasty, they are they are the largest of modern day. And I, what I love about jujitsu, it's taught me, it's actually helped me become a better game master because it's basically made me think strategically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could have spent several thousand dollars on Warhammer, but instead I spent several thousand dollars on jujitsu. So, you know, you pick your poison. But I've learned how to be strategic with jujitsu and therefore as a game master, I when I run monsters and I would love your opinion on how you run monsters and your theory, I think of monsters or enemy combatants, you know, fill in the blank as we are here for a purpose, whether you're a rampant ghost that just wants to be relieved of their spiritual bound, you know, um, oath to the material plane, right? Maybe you need an exorcism. Maybe you're a knoll who's on a hunting path and you just inter, you know, you you interjected in their in their party, so now they're going to retaliate. Or maybe bandits are just there to try to steal something you have. Okay. Either way, they have an objective and they're going to think strategically. If they see the cleric in heavy armor, well, they might not attack that cleric. But if they see the wizard casting spells and they're only wearing you know the typical like wizard trope of of robes they might attack the wizard first because oh not a lot of armor and they're casting magical spells let's get them first Mm -hmm. or hey this cleric has a very fancy suit of armor let's you know get them and then take their armor so think I, i try to think strategically i think okay 
three, four, five steps ahead, like a BBG would, right? The enemy is going, the world is going to continue. Their plans are going to continue, whether the players as their characters choose to pursue that or not. At least that's how I run my game. I run my game very West Marches style, right? It's the character's journey. It's their hero's journey. And I don't believe in just one BBG. I believe in multiple. Layers. Layers. Absolutely. I absolutely (laughs) believe that. The the way I think of it and the way I've run it, because I used to have a really big party of like 20 people. Um, We played virtually and we played in person. So, and, and I can't, you know, I thought I was a, I thought I was, that was a big party, but my personal friend and and he's now I, I play in his world, Ray, he used to have like 30, 40 people. It was crazy. Cause he was at a time um, virtually and in person. Yeah. So he would I mean, basically, I, I wouldn't even know how to do that. So what he did now, because his time was just, and he was like a doctor and he, he works in glaucoma, crazy, crazy backstory of his, but basically he would do, he would say, okay, I'm meeting these people in person. And then virtually here are these people because he was the GM for a lot of the creators on Instagram. So Mm -hmm. a lot of us like who met in 2017, 2018 got together and would, and he said, Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll host a one shot. And it went from, Oh, a one shot in his campaign. That's been now going on for 30 years to, Oh, we're just now part of it. So I, before I played in his game, I had about 20 people here locally to me in the North Carolina area and South Carolina, because I'm, I'm close to that border. So it was uh, all how far. Are you from, uh, are you near the coast or are you in the mountains? I'm closer to, I'm about, actually I'm equal to both the coast and the mountains, depending on which coast you're talking about. If it's like Charles, Charleston, South Carolina, I'm very far from. But, well, so I grew up. I grew up going to the going to a place called Calabash, uh, uh, right on the North and South Carolina border. Okay, I I actually might it's just know. north of. It's just I'm just curious. It doesn't really matter. I, it's just. Uh, Are you close? Was it closer to Southport? North Myrtle Beach? Huh? North Myrtle Beach. Yeah, I know. Yep, I know where you're at. Yeah, just north, north of Myrtle Beach. Yeah. Because it's sandwiched between. Um, like Oak Island, like you'll, it's like that Oak Island Southport type. Um, yeah. Cause then you There's see Calabash. A, a ton of, it's just all beach communities. And, and even back in the nineties and eighties, it was all vacation homes and stuff. So. Oh yeah. I mean, funny enough in the recent times, they've actually had more TTRPG stuff in those beach. You know, my wife and I came from a vacation um, not so long ago. And we saw some TTRPG stuff. It was it was kind of cool to see. But I was running a pretty big game in person. And what I would do was basically say, hey, you know, what do you all want to do? Right. What What is your goal? And most of my players were coworkers. I had about five on one team that I worked with and then one other department. Your coworkers. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's, that's interesting. So we were in an internship together. So I was, before I got into my position, I was part of a, an internship transitioning people from the retail side of the corporation to um, the more corporate side. Mm-hmm. And we all met during an internship and I met some of my really good friends there. Uh, actually, we were talking about Diablo and how I was like, yeah, I can't, 
you know, I really can't go to this event because I have, I promised one of my close friends, John, ironically spelled similar to yours, uh, J-O-N. So you're the second person I've ever met with a name spelled like that. Wow. Um, John and I would go play Diablo, Diablo three specifically. So long story short, coworkers, we all met through there and we all played weekly for three, four years consistently. Wow. Uh, we would book a conference room and we would play. Yeah. And then other players who wanted to come in. I, when I tell you, we had people, if you remember the game diplomacy, I don't know if I've heard of it. I've never played it. So very similarly where they would come into my cube, pass a note of what their character wanted to do or say it on discord. And I would read it and be like, okay. And things would be in motion and I would give them a note back or I would type in discord what was going on. Mm -hmm. And then that's what would happen. And that's how I created BBGs because some people were against the party, you know, the original party because they wanted different goals and they had different motivations. So that's kind of what I'm talking about when I say different BBGs. Everyone had their own desires and motivations and I may or may not have pinned it against one another or they yeah. might have naturally done it themselves. I don't know. Yeah. I'm so, not so there's a book that I haven't, that I, I've meant to read, but I never have. I've meant to have read but it's called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. Fantastic I book. I have no idea who the author is, but um, I really want to read it. And that's kind of, but I, and the reason I like the title is because that's kind of how I see monsters. You know, I think that as you, as, a, as an adult, at least for me, you know, I love playing HeroQuest. I love, run, I still to this day, love running HeroQuest. Uh, especially for people who've never played or people who just have the nostalgia or whatever. I love, I love running the game. Um, and, but, you know, the monsters in Hero Quest are, you know, by design kind of mindless, uh, kind of mindless autom automatons that just attack, 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 you know, and that's, there's really no, there's no base mechanic for the monsters to run away and, and, yeah. and run around the corner and wait, you know, lie and wait. Right. So or anything, you know, anything beyond just attack, attack. So, but uh, I, I think as an adult, I think as you get more exposure to to this genre of of gaming, whether it's a tabletop game like Hero Quest, or whether it's a pure role playing game uh, or hybrid, uh, potentially like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, I think you know me. I want I want more, and and I want to give I want to give players more uh, license and agency to interact in the world. And I, I actually, you know, I think that there's always that slim chance for a player or for a player to offer something that's compelling enough for the monster not to want to eat them, you know, mm -hmm. or what, or whatever it is, you know? And so I, I like, uh, I like when players try to try to slow down and ask questions, you know, of the, of the bandits, you know, why are you doing this? What do you want? Like any, anything beyond just hack and slash, I think it's, it makes the whole thing much more fun and, and uh, makes it much more interesting for me because then I have to, <laughs> I have to try to figure out what their, what their motivations might be if, if it comes to that. So I don't know, like I, I tend to run monsters like NPCs, I guess, you know, if that makes any sense. Have you ever had an experience where your part, where the party 
during a combat try to use an action or something like that to question why those and why those yeah. you know okay yeah. how how did you so did you kind of lead it up to that or did they did they naturally take the initiative no it's just you know you ask if if you're you know put yourself in a situation where you're you know going to be jumped by bandits and it doesn't it's not always going to work right so but if you're going to be jumped by bandits and the opportunity presents itself uh try to talk your way out of it well i asked because i because i feel like naturally when i've been in combat situations or when i've seen combat situations whether it's live plays or whether i've just you know participated um inactively kind of like a fly on the wall i've noticed that people don't ask those questions like well why why are we fighting what you know what are you after things of that nature it's just like oh well we're in combat now so let's go you know this is the next phase so my question to you is if a game master really likes that right if the, if they're listening right now and they say i love that idea how would you recommend to them to kind of tee up that situation or that that possibility of having the players or the their characters you know ask or talk to these npcs to kind of either avoid combat or to dig deep maybe have a role play moment so i would leave leave it open you know the monsters don't have to if 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 the monsters surround the bandits let's just we've used that example a couple of times already if the bandits surprise and ambush the party and surround them but don't immediately attack then the, then the door's open okay you know, so give, if they so do give immediately the if they do immediately attack then the door's the door's not as wide open you know what i mean right. like so but if they don't immediately attack then the door's open and okay. the players then have agency to to take that step or, or take that risk, you know, and they may take that risk and it may not work out. Yeah. But I think if they do, if, 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 as a, here's the thing though, you, you know, you can't, as a GM, you can't trick it. it it's important that you don't trick your players, at least sure. not, not intentionally, right. Don't deceive them. Yep. Uh, act, you know, don't actively deceive them. So like, if you leave that door open and they decide to take it, don't screw, you know, don't, flip the switch on them and then immediately, you know, use that as an opportunity to, to hurt them exponentially or yeah. additional, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's important that if you, if it's a, if that is an element that you want to inject into your game, then you need, you need to remember and remind yourself that it's important not to trick or deceive your players in that way, because then, because then they'll net, because then that door will be closed forever. Yeah. And so for so, the for, so for the GMs out there, open the door, leave it open. If your players choose to not go through it, cool, no problem. But don't, you know, don't do the backhand, uh, don't, don't slap them, so to speak. And for the players yeah. out there, hey, take that opportunity to whatever, you know, I don't think your GM's going to get mad at you, but take the opportunity to sit, to to perhaps even interject and add a role play element to it. Because there, there could be a really cool, the way I think about it, there could be a really cool role play reasoning for it, right? It could be that the bandits were told that a certain party that kind of fit the description of the of the characters, but it's not them. You know, they were paid to ambush them. And, oh, well, why were we paid? Why were you paid to ambush them? And then now there's a plot device 
coming in. Yeah. And now there's a cool story hook that they can pursue. Absolutely. And the other way that I like, you know, the other way that my brain kind of looks at that, I read a lot of, of, of futuristic science fiction. Cool. And one of the common tropes and well, not just futuristic science fiction, but it's very common in, in sci-fi mm-hmm. is the, is the patron client relationship between yeah. species. Right. So, uh, you know, a, a, a more advanced patron species with several less advanced client species doing their, you know, doing their bidding, essentially mm-hmm. uh, paying them. Uh, it works in fantasies and your fiefdoms as well. Right. So, sure. but uh, you've got, if you, if you use that same concept in a, in a bandit ambush scenario, you know, maybe, you know, taking the opportunity to, turn those bandits into patrons rather than uh or excuse me to clients rather than uh uh, and using them to your advantage either right then or later on or you know hiring them yourself and and using them as bodyguards or cannon fodder or whatever they're far more valuable uh you know potentially to you and and there's a lot more uh to you know uh, plot devices and plot hooks and story hooks uh available to both the gm and the players to make it you know to make it more fun other than just having one more you know three more dead bandits on the road you know i love that idea though i love of turning because you know i'm a i'm a huge fan of frank herbert and dune i i think that was such a well-written um i liked at least the first one i was i was really in love with as the series kind of grew it kind of the turns that it took were weird but anyway Mm -hmm. I really love that. And I also do want to be cognizant of time. So I really yeah. want to ask um, kind of quickly yeah. with your, with your current job, can you explain a little bit of what your company is doing right now in the TTRPG industry so that we can get folks kind of like yeah. in that direction? Yeah. So as a company, Forge Gaming is, you know, we make premium tabletop gaming accessories, anything from, uh, we focus on, on metal dice is one of is for dice. We don't do stone or plastic or acrylic or resin or anything like that. So we make uh, a, a ton of metal dice and we make a lot of, of uh, other tabletop RPG accessories. So we make a lot of, you'll see a lot of hand-painted resin sculpture dice towers and uh, uh dice trays, you know, any, anything, if you could find it at the, if you could find it on the table of a game of Dungeons and Dragons, chances are we, we make a, we, we make, we make a product, a, a premium product that'll meet that need. Um, we most recently, probably one of the most exciting things that we've done recently, uh, we partnered with a, a another, uh, a live play, uh, a live play RPG channel called Realmsmith. Uh, I love with- Realmsmith. So we partnered oh. with the guys at Realmsmith and designed, uh, we co-designed the Ultimate Game Master screen with them. And so that was a Kickstarter that that uh, ended in June. Uh, and the backer kit, uh, the pledge manager portion, the pre-order portion ends tomorrow, actually. Uh, and that was uh, really successful. Uh, we are really excited about the new brand, the Ultimate Game Master, and where we're going to be able to take that. And... We created a lot of new products uh, during the Kickstarter that we're just in the we're in the process of finalizing now, and uh, yeah, uh, so that's probably probably the most exciting thing that we've done in, in the immediate uh, the most recent history was uh, we we've successfully concluded the Ultimate Game Master Screen uh, Kickstarter campaign. So. Are there going to be other things that would 
I guess, if it was a toolkit for the ultimate game master, whether you would create it or not, what would be some of the things that you would like to add or that you would, you know, see in the future be added to that? That's a great question. And I will say, stay tuned. I love that. Okay. Well, maybe what happens is that when that pops up, you come back on the show to talk about that too. Um, See, that's how I lure some of my future. Hey, uh, I'd be I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Because I I really do think of for those game masters that are listening to this, I think that we're all kind of just looking to save more time, and that's why I love mm-hmm. this platform and this technology that we use. We save a lot of time by doing the kind of menial tasks of being a GM and actually run our game, play our game, and breathe our game. Um, and, and especially like, I don't know what you think about AI actually next week's episode is going to be about AI and TTRPGs, because I really think it's a topic we need to talk about. Just kind of rip the bandaid. I'm very pro technology as, as we've talked about earlier, obviously like we, we want to be ethical about it very much so, but Mm -hmm. I think that AI is going to be another caveat, another little, you know, if you remember, in the comics and in the cartoons, like Batman's utility belt, it's just going to be another tool in that utility belt that you can you use. You and I, you and I are very, we probably have very similar ideas uh, at the, in the macro sense, at least, and and on how and where we are with AI and, and what it can, you know, what it can be. I, I completely agree with you. I oh, think uh, what I tell people is, uh, and, and I, I, I was, I was ready to have that conversation tonight, actually, because it's such a problem. Oh, I mean, if you if you have time, I would love to hear your your personal opinion on emerging technology, including AI and how it impacts TTRPGs. I would love to hear that if you have the time. Yeah. Uh, can, uh, so I was almost gonna say, can I go, can I go refill my glass? But, um, you, Hey, you know what, if you want, you definitely can, because what I was going to say is, well, if you want to refill, go for it because basically the, my whole thing is, and my shtick is, um, to the community members out there, and to the folks, AI is not, it is not the devil incarnate. Okay. The AI is, could be a friend, right? It, it could be a tool for us to use. Can it be abused? Sure. It could be abused, but it doesn't have to be looked at as the devil incarnate. Right now we have some weird, you know, blurred lines ethically and technology, you know, there, the regulations aren't there yet. And there's mm-hmm. not going to be regulation from a macro perspective because we have a lot of other nation states at the moment who are utilizing AI to advance their own technology, uh, technological, like, you know, or rather technologies, let's just say it like yeah, that. Yeah. So on a macro sense, yeah, it's, there's not going to be regulation at the moment because if we stop, everyone else is going to keep going. So mm-hmm. from a competition perspective, it's not there, but you can do some awesome stuff with AI to improve your game and immerse it. But sure. that that's just me. I hope hopefully that was a little bit of time to kind of uh refill your glass, whether well, no, I have to leave the I have to leave, I have to go off camera. I have to leave the room. I was not prepared at all. Oh. Um no. So I I think that I know that there is a lot, especially in the creator space and, and mm-hmm. in the in the gaming, the games industry in general. There is a lot of consternation and a lot of concern about the use of AI and what AI is going to do and where it's going to affect how it's how it's going to affect people. And and look, the reality is that it is going to affect people. 
Yeah. And it, 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 there is there, the reality is that there is no regulation. There is no regulatory authority yep. that is going to be able to move fast enough or efficiently enough yep. to create a box to put, to put this, to put this back into. And so, uh, that our system of government in the United States is just not designed to react this that way. And so, and, and so what I, but I do agree with you. I think it needs to, I think there need to be some guide, some, some rails, you know, some guidelines put in place uh, to, to manage, if that's the right word, the evolution of, and I mean, evolution with a capital E, yeah. uh, the evolution of AI and and how we interact with it as 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 a species, as a people in the macro sense, right? As a as someone who operates in the in the games industry, I am going to do everything that I can to to use it, you know, to use it when the opportunity presents itself. You know, it hasn't yet, but if and when the opportunity presents itself, I'll do everything that I can to use it ethically and responsibly, and in a way that allows me to. In a, in a way that allows me to expand my own creativity, not supplant my my own creativity or replace you know me as a, as a creator uh, or a creative. And, and I'm by no means nearly as creative as, as you know 99 of the other people in the industry that we work in. So, but um, I want to I want to embrace that. I want to learn how to use it for good. You know, uh, I want to. Uh, find a way to coexist in in a in a in a way that helps me help my 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 players, my coworkers, my customers, uh, you know, all of that. Uh, because if we because the worst thing that we can possibly do is put our heads in the sand and hope it goes away. Because if that if the 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 individuals that do that are going to be replaced. Uh, there, if the people that don't learn how to embrace and utilize its technology uh, in, in, for for good or at all are going to are going to really find themselves in a difficult position in the future, and I don't mean ten years from now future or five years from now future. I mean next year, you know. Uh, and so I think that's just the way it is. I just don't, and I could be wrong, and and I it's happened before. Ask my wife. Uh, but, um, it, it's, uh, I don't think it's going away and I think we have to find a way. I think we have to find a way as a people to, to work with it and utilize it for good so that we can, uh, better ourselves as a, as a people be, I've got a little bit deeper than I meant to, but I, I just, yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going anywhere. So I was going to say. If if we had to pause for you to get a, a refill, I I apologize. I missed that boat. Um, I I am I'm right there with you. I see a lot of artists within our hobby and industry that are reluctant about AI, and they are so they it's it's almost as if they are just hating it. Mm-hmm. And if I were an artist of their caliber, which they're so talented. I would take this opportunity to apply my skills as a math, you know, maybe uh, an intermediate master, advanced level, whatever you want to say, artist and say, hey, let me utilize AI and 
work around it. Let me make it, let me put, let me pour life into it. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen is that people are going to maybe, are they're going to hire artists, human artists for specific projects, right? They're that, that I don't think human artwork is going to go away, but what you just did with AI is that you made, you removed the barrier of entry for artists. Mm -hmm. I can generate a magic item using certain prompts and mm -hmm. I'm learning how to use these prompts. Obviously we know chat GPT and 4.0 and, and what that is, which is a unique crazy blend of AI. It's always going to need human analysis, obviously. We we understand that, yes, AI can mimic pretty damn well the human mind. Mm -hmm. Patterns of logic, reasoning, perception, things of that nature, but it will never understand the feeling. And, and for those, the, obviously, folks, this is kind of the more than PG. This is definitely the, the adult uh, version of this podcast. You've had a couple beers. You're feeling quite nice. An AI is never going to understand the feeling of having a couple of beers with friends and just having a good time, right? And going going late to like a fast food chain or a diner with your friends when you've had a couple of drinks and you're all feeling great in that memory, right? Yeah. Or, or or the time that you first, you know, saw, I don't know, this a, a beautiful piece of art or heard a beautiful soundtrack or song after a breakup or whatever, those human emotions that make us who we are. That so you are, you are describing very well uh, Data's, Data's dilemma, right? From, from Star Trek The Next Generation. I mean, the, like 90% of what you just said, there are, there are episodes of TNG yep. uh, that feature Data and Data working through those shortcomings in his own in his own program in his own in his own human experience uh, uh or or endeavor to you know endeavor to, to seek out those those human experiences so yeah i mean and and you say never i i'm i'm a little less i'm a little less committal you know what what's to sit now where that where an where uh, an artificial intelligence may never have those exact uh interactions uh or feelings or experiences who's to say that they don't have their own cultural equivalent they might they might have their own cultural equivalent which i think will make them see us as humans as like ants and not the desire to squish them but to just simply walk over the ants right yeah um I actually heard this great theory. I forget. I think he was the former chief data scientist at Google that basically said the more uh, a line of probability would be that they would advance. And because obviously metal rusts and things of that nature, life on earth wouldn't really be great or sustainable for them. So they would probably be one of the first beings to go into deep space. Yeah. Because they could probably survive it. And they could have consciousness and go into a planet that they would, you know, do they just, they just need to be able to be in existence. Mm -hmm. So that's another possibility. And again, AI can just be, I, I, you know, 
where I think we're kind of headed is more of like the AI that you see in Star Trek that you see in even Dune where it's this, it is a tool that helps us as humans. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hope so, you know, and I think that as long as we, as long as we can move forward responsibly and I realize that's a pretty loaded statement because there's a lot of yeah. irresponsible people in the world. But sure. uh, if we're, if we as a people are able to move forward responsibly and utilize this, this kind of uh, creation and this technology as a tool to, to, you know, further our own, uh, you know, further our own adventure in this, uh, in this, in this universe, I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I hope that we can, I hope that at some point uh, laws and uh, regulatory bodies are able to move in a way that is responsible and, and, and uh, to, to create the guidelines uh, and the guide rails to assist people who may not necessarily make the best decisions. Otherwise uh, yeah. at least, uh, give, give pause. So I hope that we view AI later in the future as more of kind of like this symbiotic relationship. Uh, you know, I see it that a lot of AI can be even utilized to defend humans, right? From electronic, you know, whether it's malware or whatever, mm -hmm. it could be the, it, it could, it could intercede and say, Hey, let's negotiate this logically, right? Let, let's do something about it. I, I almost see AI right now kind of like a child you can we can we have the ability to raise an awesome kid mm -hmm. or we have the ability to raise a bully yeah that that's absolutely. kind of where we're at yeah there's a uh there's a great science fiction uh there's a great science fiction uh series called the expeditionary force and one of the main characters the, the secondary main character is an is an ai oh cool uh, is an artificial intelligence named skippy so okay. Uh, it is, uh, and the character of, of, of Skippy, the, the AI is, is great, you know, so what's it called again? Read, the, the, the series is called Expeditionary Force. Expeditionary. The first, and it's, it's just, it's, it's goofy, good old, you know, good old science fiction, easy read. Uh, the audio books are narrated by R.C. Bray. Uh, they're just fantastic. And, uh, the character of the AI is probably is my favorite character for sure. But the first book in the series is called Columbus Day. Columbus Day. Okay. Yeah. Expeditionary Force Columbus Day. Okay. Yeah. I will fast, definitely it's a, remember. It's a fast read. And I, and I, and I you, either way, I've read, I've read the books. I've listened to the audiobooks. Uh, both are great. So, but. Uh, well, I definitely, I definitely need to pick it up and, and read it. Because um, I, another, as a game, as a game master, I think reading books helps you tell stories and Absolutely. learning how to, you know, whether it's an audio book or whatever it may be. I think when you read more, you learn how to tell stories. And I don't know about you, but part of being a game master is a storyteller, right? You're playing, you're, you're in a collaborative storytelling game. You got to learn how to tell stories. 100%, 100%. I mean, you've got to, somebody has to, somebody has to create the, uh, somebody has to create the guide rails. So yeah. Absolutely. And someone has to create that sandbox for you to, for your players to play in. And, yeah. and, and, and you kind of have to fill it with sand, which is the world building process. Like we were talking about earlier, 
you know, simple things. And I don't know what you, how you view this, but simple things like, okay, what are we doing here? Who are the main, who are the main forces in the world? Mm -hmm. Why are they, what are, you know, why are they doing that? And when did they start? Where did they start? You know, this, I call it the five W's, the who, what, where, when, why. And it's a very simple way of just building worlds. You know, you ask yourself these questions and within 30 minutes, an hour, you can build some cool stuff with it, but you fill the sand in into the sandbox. You dump your players out there and say, go play, have fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. Don't, don't, you know, don't break anything, but if you do, it's okay. We'll work on it. That's how I look at it. Very simple. Yeah. Maybe I think this is my influence of being a father now too, where I'm, I'm, I very much look at it. Like game masters are like parents kind of like raising and te- not raising, but like teaching and instructing like the character, not the player, but the character and like helping that character yeah. grow. Um, and it's a, I, I, I find that analogy a little bit more uh, wholesome in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's cool. Uh, well, anyway, John, I really appreciate you coming on to the show. I really appreciate the time that you took and I will definitely, if, if you don't mind, I'll share any of um any of your socials or Forge's socials down in, in the uh, show notes and whatnot so that folks can check it out and get some cool stuff. I'm not a dice goblin, but I'm converting. I really am. I'm seeing some cool <laughs> dice and I'm like, damn, that's pretty dope. And well, then check now- out, I tell you what, check out the, we have a, we have a set of dice called Legacy of Adventure that I think yeah. you might, I think you might like. Ooh, yeah. I'm gonna have to share that on our Discord too. Just take, just, just take a look. You know, it's not. It's definitely not for everybody. But any anybody who's been anybody who's 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 been in this world for a minute, I think will really appreciate it. So check it out. Okay, I will. I definitely will. Well, I appreciate that, John. I really do, folks. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the show. I appreciate y'all's time because you could have been listening to another show, but you chose mine. So I really appreciate it. Remember, folks, if you liked this episode, be sure to share it with your friends. Leave a five-star review. Um, More importantly, though, be kind and compassionate, y'all, because life is crazy, but we can make it together. Anyway, have a good one, y'all, and keep gaming.